0: What's up guys welcome back to the MMA meeting let's talk with the weasel podcast where we talk all things MMA and let's jump right into it so the big news Ben Askren announced his retirement from the sport and say what you want. now I know I was one of the biggest critics of Ben Askren when he got signed to the UFC I didn't give him much of a chance in the UFC ranks And even though he came out 1-2 and out of his uh, UFC fights The only one being a very controversial finish Where he was pretty much getting beat up in the fight You cannot deny the guy's toughness You cannot deny that he put his money where his mouth was You remember when he called out the entire division And he actually went by that So he fought Robbie Lawler He fought Jorge Masvidal He fought Damian Maia And you know these are not easy fights at all You could say Robbie Lawler you know older in his career But that was his first fight in the UFC Where he was pretty much not tested that much outside of it Yes he fought Douglas Lima yes he fought Andre Koreshkov but that was so long ago very hard to make that relevant to today's standards when you look at his skill set and his quality as a fighter comparing to today's standard of fighters but he did not stand back he wanted the best fighters he called them out and he fought some of the best fighters in the UFC even though a lot of them were going to be bad stylistic matchups for him he wanted to fight GSP as well Khabib many really tough fights for him and announcing his retirement seems like a pretty good thing he came out of retirement to test himself against the best fighters and then uh needs like a hip replacement surgery or something like that and that's pretty bad I don't know how long he's had it I mean he's been wrestling for a very long time so maybe even early on in his wrestling career he's had this hip injury because we all know how hard wrestling is on the body and if he fought his whole MMA career or even let's say even half of his MMA career with that hip injury you got to give him even more credit for going through all this so I have to give my respect to Ben Askren He definitely made things more fun than I expected him coming into the UFC. Shook things up just a little bit, you know? And that's a good thing. It's a good thing for the fans. It was interesting. It was entertaining. And I wish him a very successful post-career adventure. And speaking of Douglas Lima. So we all know Douglas Lima beat Roy McDonald. And he fought a lot more convincingly than last time. People could chalk that up to Warren McDowell not being the same fighter mentally. That could be part of it, you know. But nobody could deny that Douglas Lima is getting better. And Douglas Lima is one of the best weights on the planet right now. And I still see some people that throw shots at him that he lost to Ben Askren before. And they say, look what happened to Ben Askren in the UFC. You think Douglas Lima is going to do any better? But then again, MMA math doesn't make any sense. And Douglas Lima fought Ben Askren seven years ago, right? It was a long time ago that's like saying you can take shots at Anderson Silva because he lost to Ryo Chonin or something like that you know it's it's kind of ridiculous at this point. point seven years ago you're gonna hold a loss against a fighter when they were a lot easier to beat when they were nowhere near the skill level they had nowhere near the mental stability that they have today the veteran experience fighting elite competition and Douglas Lima even in Bellator has fought some really stellar competition and I wish one day him and is it Patricio or Patricio uh the featherweight champion who just won the light championship against Michael Chandler that Pitbull brother and Douglas Lima I want to see them in the UFC or at least have a crossover fight I know the UFC won't do it because it doesn't make sense for them they don't get anything out of it it's mainly Bellator's benefit because if Douglas Lima goes and wins which is the best case scenario he goes back to Bellator and now the UFC is looked at as not the best organization completely and there are better fighters out there right the casual audience the semi-hardcore audience they all believe that UFC is by far heads and shoulders above any other MMA organization. And they cannot risk that, right? Because the truth is, anybody can lose. We look at Eddie Alvarez moving to one championship. He gets knocked out in his first fight, right? We look at Sage Northcutt fighting a kickboxer who's pretty one-dimensional. And he gets starched in the first round. And Ryzen, I believe, right? We do see Bellator fighters come into the UFC, but as UFC fighters. And some of them do very well. Right? This has been through all time, you know, with Strike Force, Pride, WEC, especially. WEC, of course, was the beginning of the weight classes below lightweight for the UFC, so it's a little bit different. But we've seen it time and time again. Fighters from different organizations go into the UFC and they do very well. This is why a lot of people thought that Pride and Strike Force compared to the UFC because we actually saw them fight each other. Bellator we rarely ever see it and I do believe Douglas Lima would be a top five at the least top seven welterweight in that division in the UFC and I think Pitbull can also be there as well in the featherweight division it's just a shame we'll probably never see it unless Douglas Lima leaves Bellator and goes into UFC I don't think he's ever gonna do that he's not old but he's in like those prime years so if he's not gonna do that now it might be too late we'll say two three four years from now To really understand how good he actually was. And that's the biggest thing about Bellator fighters. We don't actually know how great they are. Unless they fight the absolute best fighters in the world. We know Douglas Lima is one of the best because he beat Rory McDowell. We know where Lovato Jr. stands because he fought Gagar Mousasi and beat We always knew that Michael Chandler was a very good fighter and Pitbull went up a division and knocked him out easily early in the fight. So some of these guys we do know because they link the competition up into each other. You know Michael Chandler going to war with Alvarez and Alvarez becoming that champion in the UFC later. The only way you're going to actually compete with Alvarez is if you actually are a great fighter. And now I do know that we have a, what, three-week gap until the next UFC car, which is going to be UFC on ESPN7. Alice Overeem versus Rosenstruik, which is like the most veteran versus prospect that you'll ever get in the UFC. When we're talking about Alice Overeem, who has over 60 fights professionally, later end of his career versus Rosenstruik, who doesn't even have 10 fights in his career and is undefeated, right? This is like the perfect veteran versus prospect fight you'll ever get. And it's very hard to tell who's going to win. Because when Rosenstrick fights. He puts people out with shots you never think would put people out. A jab in his first fight. Short and didn't look too powerful of a left hook on Andrarlovsky. But he has that kind of power. And Overeem who has the chin that he has. It's going to be dangerous for him man. In any given moment. Moves in a little bit too much. zigs when he should have zagged. Moves left when he should have moved right. And Rosenstrick will land that big shot. Doesn't have to be a big shot It could be a jab or something like that Because we know he has that kind of power And that could be it for over him for that fight And that will put Rosenstruck towards the top of the division And we need more prospects in the heavyweight division Because they're all very old, you know But the rest of the card doesn't look the greatest You do have Song Yadong. Carlos of was scheduled to fight Mickey Gall And that was sad in one way To be honest, for Carlos Connit Former multiple-time title challenger Former interim champion Fighting some of the best welterweights in the world To who can't even get a win Right. It's almost similar to uh, Hennon Barral, but not as bad Hennen Barral had the biggest fall from grace ever in the UFC Going from who a lot of people thought pound for pound number one fighter in the world I know Dana White thought that mostly But there were other people that repeated that narrative To being a guy who just can't win at all Like he's just getting destroyed by guys he shouldn't be getting destroyed by Guys without Wikipedia pages Who don't even go and do well in the UFC And he can't even beat those guys But Carlos Condit is one of the next ones right? There's Henan Burrell, there's Johnny Hendricks And then I think there's Carlos Condit He's coming off five losses in a row. His last win was against Thiago Elves in 2015. And Thiago Elves isn't doing well in his career. So in his last 10 fights, he only has two wins. Martin Campman, Thiago Elves. The Martin Campman win was pretty good. He got shut down by GSP. He got shut down by Johnny Hendricks. He got stopped by Tyron Woodley. I know a lot of people say, oh, but Carl's kind of hurt his knee. I don't take that, man. Tyron Woodley took him down, hurt Carl's Connet's knee, and then kicked the opposite knee causing the injured one to rotate that's all Tyron Woodley that's not Carl's kind of that's not really Carl's kind of making it a mistake he I think took in a butterfly hook as he was getting taken down by Woodley and you know Woodley's a tank on top of you it smashed on top of the leg I think he probably noticed it kicked out the other leg and turned the knee and that was it I think that's a legitimate win for Tyron Woodley to be honest unless like Carl's kind of stepped wrong and that's what happened then it's something different but it's actually something Woodley did he took action and caused the injury himself if Henry Cejudo lost his fight to Demetrius Johnson because of uh the leg injury let's say something similar he can't stand anymore it was Demetrius Johnson that did that he was kicking the legs and he caused that to happen right look at um Jared versus Anderson Silva right you got to give it to Jared Cannonier. he kicked the leg and hurt it and injured it that's how hard he kicked it people don't really bat an eye when someone gets their jaw broken or something like that and then they call it off People like oh yeah he won he broke his job. But what's the difference with kicking out someone's leg and injuring it Same thing you're causing an injury with a blow It's just not something you normally see because it's harder to injure a leg When you're taking action but when you do so You got to give that guy credit for how hard they kicked it Like Jared Kennedy The takedown as well as kicking it like Tyron Woodley did It just all goes into the game And then Carl's kind of fought Tiago Alves I think it was with that step stepping elbow that ended the fight And then he fought Robbie Lawler which is actually a very good fight Almost beat him a lot of people thought that he beat Robbie Lawler And that could be considered a prime Robbie Lawler And a prime Robbie Lawler is one of the greatest welterweights of all time And then his fall happened right after that game Submitted easily by Damian Maya, Which I thought was a terrible fight for Condit Condit's known to have one of the worst takedown defenses in the entire game Took it down easily, submitted He fought Neil Magny A lot of people thought that Condit should be able to win that one Got outstruck, got outwrestled especially. He fought Alex Oliveira, which is another tough fight for him. Got submitted. Fought Michael Chiesa, got submitted again. And a lot of people think that the big fall after that Robbie Lawler fight was because of all the damage he took from the Lawler fight. He did say when Damian Maia grounded ground upon him with that one big left hand, I think, over the top. When Damian Maia was in his guard or half guard, Kahn said he got rocked by that. A shot like that, Kahn is known for a granite chin. But if he's getting hurt that easily... By Damian Maya, it's safe to say that the damage he took from the Robbie Lawler fight was very extensive and probably hurt him in different ways you know mentally can't take a shot as well as he did before maybe hurt his confidence maybe something happened after that because I know he was contemplating retirement after Robbie Lawler fight but he did fight not too long after in August of that same year so he fought Robbie Lawler in January 2nd of 2016 then fought Demian Maia in August 27 of 2016. So seven months in between is not that long, you know. Who else do you have on the card? Ben Rothwell's fighting Stefan Struve. Marina Rodriguez is a good prospect fighting Cynthia Calvillo. Rob Font's on the card fighting Ricky Simone. That's going to be interesting. Not the best card, but something more solid than we saw last week. And then the big one. This is what I really wanted to talk about. So that UFC on ESPN 7 card is three weeks from now. And then we're going to have UFC 245 a week after that on December 14th. And this card is really stacked so on the UFC website there's three fights on the prelims you do have Matt Brown versus Ben Saunders you have Caitlyn Vieira versus Irina Aldana which is actually a really good fight if Caitlin Vieira wins that fight she should be the next in line for a title shot and you have Jeff Neal versus Mike Perry which is gonna be explosive in a throwdown fest Jeff Neal is more well-rounded he can go for the wrestling a little bit more but I believe he thinks that he's a better striker than Mike Perry he's not gonna allow that to happen right he's not gonna allow Mike Perry to even show off that he can beat Jeff Neal in the striking that's gonna be a a banger man and i'm actually glad it's gonna headline the prelims that's the kind of fight that's gonna gravitate towards the casual fans you got Petrion versus Uri Faber you got Marlon Marais versus Jose Aldo what the heck man those two fights alone could headline a fight night especially Marlon Marais versus Jose Aldo that's an insane fight Number one versus number three, Jose Aldo moving down. Well, Jose Aldo's number three at featherweight. Faber's moving down. You do have Frankie Edgar versus Corey Sanhagen. It's the veterans from the featherweight division. Old featherweight division versus the new guys of the bantamweight division. It's pretty funny. And to be honest, those three fights, Moraes versus Aldo, Jan versus Faber, and Edgar versus Sanhagen. That's going to really tell how the structure of the UFC is going to be when you come in terms of skills and stuff like that. Will the old veterans beat these new bantamweights out of there? and frankly all of them were featherweights and they deserve to be in weight. I wouldn't say Jose Aldo but I guess he's moving down I don't know what happened I talked about it before he did look a little bit smaller than some of those featherweights but weight seems to be a little bit too much of a cut but that's gonna be interesting Moraes versus Aldo was very interesting for me to be honest I know I'm in the minority I know 100% I'm in the minority Moraes versus Aldo does more for me than Holloway versus Volkanovski to be honest I know I'm stoked for Holloway versus Volkanovski, but I'm a huge Jose Aldo fan. I'm a big Morais fan, but the biggest thing for me is, is dangerous. That fight is very dangerous for both of them. When I mean, we're talking about some of the hardest hitters in the bantamweight division, the come down from Jose Aldo to bantamweight, there's so many different variables in that kind of fight than the Holloway versus Volkanovski fight, which is a little bit more straightforward. We kind of expect what that fight's going to be like. This Morais and Aldo fight, it's going to test Aldo. It's going to test a young fighter like Morais, and most likely someone's going to get put out. Both of them will answer back when they get hit. Both of them have insane takedown defense. Both of them are excellent kickers. Josie Aldo might have more power and speed. More ice. Has better timing and precision. And when they throw it's always 100%. Then you have Amanda Nunes versus Jermaine Duranimi. Now a lot of people are looking down on this fight. A lot of people think that oh Amanda Nunes is going to wreck Jermaine Duranimi. Because what I usually get and I see it all over the place. Because Amanda Nunes beat Ronda Rousey, Holly Holm, Chris Iborg. These fighters. That has nothing to do with GDR. If you think Amanda Nunez is gonna go out there and just outstrike GDR, prepare to be shocked a little bit. People don't give GDR the respect she deserves. Yes, she turned down the featherweight belt and that's the main reason why people don't respect her or they might overlook her but GDR has legit one-shot knockout power. She's extremely technical to a master level. She's longer and taller than Amanda Nunez which is something Nunez hasn't fought in her career besides when she fought GDR and she sets up things a little bit different than Nunez has ever fought up against. The way Nunez is gonna win this fight is the way she won the last one take it to the ground show grappling dominance it's not going to be as easy as it was in the first fight because Nunez is a grappler yes she might have gotten better but back then she was pretty much just a grappler and that's what she pretty much knew she was a black belt back then I think so I would say her striking has greatly improved a way ahead than her grappling has but I don't think it's enough to stifle GDR striking right if they stay striking I think it's going to be pretty even if not I actually think GDR might have a little bit of an advantage But she's way more one dimensional right The best way for Nunez to win this fight Is showcase her grappling And that is something we don't normally see from Nunez These days at least I mean she submitted Misha Tate But it was coming off strikes We have to see her take down GDR Ground upon her before that Soften her up a little bit Then probably get a rear naked choke The last time we really saw something like that Was when she fought Valentina Shevchenko the first time And that was a long time ago That was before either of those fighters were champions So it's going to be an interesting fight For people thinking that she's going to go out there And dominate the striking I think that's a little bit crazy so right now my early prediction for that I do think Amanda Nunes is probably gonna win that but it's a tougher fight than people are expecting and we have to also remember Nunez's takedowns aren't like a wrestler she trips you every time that's all of her takedowns get you in the clinch trip you who's better in the clinch when it comes to striking it's easily GDR GDR dominates that area but the biggest thing is can Nunes get in on GDR for a clinch because GDR does keep a very long range on her opponent and Nunes is going to have to make her way in through her punches. That puts her in danger for counter shots of course right. Especially when Nunez is looking for the takedown looking for the clinch instead of looking to outstrike GDR in those exchanges right. When you're throwing punches to a takedown or punches to the clinch your punches aren't normally as focused or as sharp as they should be when you're focusing on striking right. And that little time lapse that little bit of a lapse and focus of your striking can get you caught by someone like GDR it's gonna be very interesting very interesting and then Max Holloway versus Alexander Volkanovsky of course is an amazing fight like I said before this is Holloway versing that old style that dominate the featherweight division besides Jose Aldo of course like Frank Edgar, Chad Mendes, Ricardo Lamas many other fighters who had this good boxing strong wrestling high horsepower style and yeah Holloway's versing the best version of that the 2.0 version of that style in Volkanovski So it's gonna be interesting how Holloway deals with that with a different kind of pressure, with a different kind of power, with the cardio that Volkanovsky has, a trait from many guys that Holloway has fought before. He has like that no back down style like Brian Ortega. He has the striking to wrestling style like Frank Yeager. He has the variety of striking from punches to the head, punches to the body, light kicks, body kicks like Jose Aldo, and maybe other things that we have never seen before because Volkanovsky is still a young fighter, very early in his career, and he's fighting a champion, one of the best champions in the featherweight Division, right? Right? But I still think Max Holloway's is going to win this I know Volkanovsky has a longer reach With like a 72 inch reach on Max Holloway 69 But he's 5 inches shorter right? So he could potentially strike with Holloway But Holloway if he's going to keep range on Volkanovsky, His reach might seem a little bit longer Because of the height difference And that itself can throw Holloway off a little bit Because every guy that Holloway has fought That had a longer reach than him Has given him problems From Dustin Poirier to Conor McGregor Right? and potentially Volkanovski can find ways to make his reach work in this kind of contest and we know Holloway doesn't have the power to hurt Volkanovski that badly Volkanovski is a dog with no step back mentality I mean look how he went after Chad Mendes right there was no quit in that guy he was having fun as he was getting hurt so the x-factors potentially can create what's going to happen in this fight it can pretty much make up this fight but I think that Max Holloway is going to do very similar to what he did to Frankie Edgar here stick to the basics make Volkanovski miss the uber pressure from Volkanovski could be a little bit different for all the way to move around but I do think off the power shots of Volkanovski, defending them and moving out on an angle he can get away from the cage and then make stuff work in the center of it right I think his entire game plan is going to be work a lot in the center and if you're getting pressed back slow down your output a little bit and work to get away from the cage and then pick up the volume again and of course the biggest fight of the card and it's crazy because these are two of the most inexperienced champions in the UFC right now and I forgot Colby Covington is not a champion um, I keep thinking he's an interim champion every time. Well, fifteen and one vs fourteen and one. Usman just won the belt. Covington won the interim belt not too long ago. A bit inexperienced compared to other champions. And they are the biggest fight of this entire card because they have that grudge against each other. And as many of you guys think, it is very even. Whether you hate or you like Colby Covington because there's a lot of people on both sides of the spectrum. At this point, nobody could deny his skills. Nobody. And I've talked about this fight multiple times. I do think Usman's going to get the better of the wrestling. I think he's going to be attempting wrestling. But it could can potentially cancel out because Colby can be throwing a lot of heat in front of Usman. Throwing off the initial shot when you're getting punches and knees and kicks thrown at you when you're trying to set up for a take. your takedown gets miscalculated or not as smoothly transitioned to and that gets it easier to defend and Colby being as high level wrestler as he is you need a perfect takedown you need a perfect takedown you need a perfect shot especially when he knows that's your approach in this fight because I think Colby's is a better striker I think he's more smooth in his striking which is crazy to say because he's not that smooth but Usman will throw windmills at you right he'll swing his arms at you and they're not too disciplined at times especially when he threw at Tyron Woodley at least Colby Covington sticks to the technique sticks to the form more than Usman does Usman has more power because we have seen him knock out Sergio Morais with one shot. And Colby Covington has never done anything like that. The most he's ever done was spinning backfist some guy early in his career. And finish off with ground and pound. But Colby Covington throws way more output. Way more variety of strikes. Usman doesn't even kick much. And we do know that Colby Covington no matter how high the pace of the fight is. He will never gas out. He can go as fast as he wants. And he'll never gas out. Will the same be for Kamaru Usman? Now we do know that Usman has very good cardio for 5 rounds when the fights going at his pace when he's where he wants to be at right think about the Woodley fight think about RDA think about Damian Maia how did those fights go who was the one that was establishing the pace of the fight and how they were going down it was Usman he was the aggressor he was the one pressuring forward he was the one that was making the fight slow or fast he was the one dictating how the fight was going those are the only 5 round fights of his career and he did pretty well with his gas tank right the only time I remember him really getting pushed and his pace getting disrupted was against Emil Mech And he had a hard time with the striking because of that. And Emil Mech I believe is not as good of a striker as RDA or even probably Tyron Woodley. But because he was pushing Usman and fighting him back. It created a bit of a scramble and confusion for Usman. And then his wrestling started to get a little bit more panicky. And we know Colby Covington also is the one to establish pace. And establish how fights go in his contests. And his pace is way higher than Usman's. So I think it's pretty much safe to say that Colby's going to be the one that's going to dictate how the fight's going to go Or dictate the pace of the fight And we do not know that Usman can last 5 rounds With the fight mainly staying standing against the volume that Colby brings As well as making up takedowns As well as just making the fight chaotic Right? We don't know how Usman's going to deal with 5 rounds of that We do know how he deals with 3 rounds of that And we have seen him more vulnerable than ever before Against Emil Mech How does he deal with this when he's fighting Colby Covington? Colby throws more things than Emil Mech does he has a higher output than Emile Mech does. Mech has more power but that's pretty much it there's nothing else Emil Mech has that Colby Covington doesn't besides just brute power but can you make up for that power when you're throwing 10 punches instead of one right Colby Covington is going to keep throwing at Usman and this makes it very hard to predict actually when I think about it more and more and as the fight gets closer I am starting to side more with Colby Covington because of these aspects of the game Usman's biggest way of winning this fight is catching Colby Covington with a big shot but he has to be moving forward to do that which is going to be a hard thing for him to do and the other way is I'll wrestle Colby Covington than if Covington's takedown defense isn't as good as we thought if Usman can actually get through that defense and just keep taking him to the ground and win by a decision because of that those are the only two ways I can see Usman winning this fight every other way is Colby Covington winning from constant striking output winning by points because of his striking stopping the takedowns making a stand-up fight make Usman confused again taking down Usman we know Usman has 100% takedown defense but this is the best wrestler he has fought in MMA we know Tom Woodley has high credentials in wrestling but Tom Woodley isn't the level of Colby Covington when it comes to wrestling in an MMA scene. MMA wrestling is different than amateur wrestling, so there's different ways Colby Covington can go about winning this fight. And we do know he attempts more takedowns than Kamar Usman does. He shoots a lot more. He's a lot more active, and that's something very different for Usman. Great card, man! I absolutely cannot wait for this. And what feels even more rewarding than just watching this amazing card is to actually bet on the fights. And mybookie.ag is the place to go between the football seasons, NBA, the start of the college basketball season, the great MMA fights are coming up it's time to get off the sideline and get right into action with my bookie if you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little and win a lot try a parlay for an example if you believe that all the challengers are going to upset the champions you can use all of them as a parlay parlays are perfect because they allow you to have multiple picks together for a much bigger payout so if you're gonna bet at this time do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win if you're tired of watching the fights from the couch with nothing to gain my bookie wants to get your mind off everything else and get back into the game if you join right now my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to a thousand dollars that means if you deposit two thousand dollars you get an extra thousand dollars and free money to play with you just have to use the promo code weasel to activate the offer once again that's promo code w-e-a-s-l-e to take advantage of my Bookie's sign up offer visit mybookie.ag today you play you win you get paid but let's go to the questions now and we're gonna go to the most liked comment by daniel rastero if canelo gordon ryan and jordan burroughs went into mma who would have the most success I'd probably say Gordon Ryan, right? Of course, he's one of the best Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu artists in the world right now, especially Nogi, which translates right into MMA. So he has the best means of finishing a fight without being in a dire situation or in a disadvantage, right? The striking is going to be his disadvantage, but he can take down someone, right? So he has been working on his wrestling a lot, and he has challenged people to take down only wrestling matches, whereas mm-hmm. Jordan Burroughs, all he has is wrestling. We don't even know that it's going to translate right into MMA because it's a different style of wrestling, and that's pretty much it. He doesn't have the striking, doesn't have the submissions, so he's more one-dimensional than Gordon Ryan. Canelo is the most dangerous when it comes to finishing someone in an instant, but he's too easily taken down, too easily controlled, too easily submitted, too easily kicked. Even in the strike, he's not going to do that well. So I will say Gordon Ryan. Then we go to Brian Historia. Did Askren hurt his legacy by coming over to the UFC? Technically, yeah. Technically, because we know where he stands. We know he's not one of the best. We know that when he fights the best of the best, he pretty much loses or greatly struggles. If he didn't come to the UFC, he would still have the mystique about him. He'll still have that question about him. How good is he actually? And when you have that question about someone, you automatically put him at a standard higher than a lot of people know about, right? Because he's undefeated. Right. He beat all these guys. So he has to be good. Right. He has to be because he's undefeated. But when he comes to the UFC and gets absolutely thrashed, then people put him down lower than what they had the standard as when he had that question about him. So I believe, yes, it hurt his legacy as a fighter competitively. But financially, it was a great right. I mean, he made a lot of money, made more money than he's ever made before, I believe. Probably more options outside of the sport. So I don't think it was a bad decision to go to UFC, but I think it hurt his legacy. Then we go to Kaz Strange. Every inch of a cucumber you can get in your bum is worth $1 million. How many inches are you taking? This might be the weirdest question I've ever gotten. And cucumbers are kind of pointy, right? Like thorny almost. That's a bad day, but it's a million dollars. I know a lot of you guys would do it, right? A lot of people would do that. Even if it's just an I'll give it I'll give it one inch why not it's a million dollars for one inch it's almost like wiping yourself right there we go to Danny D what happens to Colby if he loses to Usman now there's the competitive area where does he go as a fighter and where does he go when it comes to his character and stuff like that because with this character he's only been winning so competitively I think he still goes on I think he still fights tries to get back up there and win the belt as a character it might lighten up because this kind of stuff really only works when you're winning if Colby was losing with this character nobody would care about him right he'll be looked at some joker in the UFC some jester so that will lighten up he'll get a little bit more serious a little bit more authentic and then try to get up to the championship again then we go to joe allen's beard over the last few years the lightweight and welterweight divisions have been consistently the best is this because lightweight and welterweight are about the average size of a man therefore there's a larger pool of people who compete in these divisions or number two these divisions have the perfect balance because technical skill and physical attributes like power speed etc keep up the great content man always looking for your analysis after fight night thank you so much man and I think both are true to be honest because lightweights and welterweights are about the size of an average person so we're talking about no taller than 6'2 usually besides like Neil Magny, Roosevelt Roberts so usually no taller than 6'2 no shorter than like 5'8 the walk around weight is nowhere more than like 205 and that's the absolute highest with like Tyron Woodley and no lower than like 165 right? from 165 to 205 that's a big pool of people and from 5.8 to 6.2 again that's a large amount of people and that's where the entire average species of humans pretty much fit into so that is also another reason why the lightweight and welterweight divisions have the most athletes They have more fighters in those divisions than any other division in the UFC. And when you have so many people in those divisions, it's a greater chance to have better fighters. The welterweight and lightweight divisions have a perfect balance. Like you said, perfect balance of technical skill and physical attributes. I mean, I mean, lightweights and welterweights can knock out anybody. They're fast, right? They're not as fast as featherweights and bantamweights, but they're way faster than middleweights, right? And because there's a balance with power, speed, other attributes, the skill is also going to be relied on. Whereas the higher weight classes you go to, the less reliant on skill is needed because you can knock out anybody with one big shot. Look at heavyweight, which is the extreme of that spectrum. As long as you have power, you can beat anybody there. This is why you don't see these other athletes come into the sport and do well in the lighter divisions. as usually the heavyweight division. Because the physical attributes are so extreme, they can be extremely effective. One big shot and you can knock out anybody because the chins don't get much better as the weight classes go up. That is why the knockouts happen more frequently as the weight classes go up the power goes up so do knockouts that also means that the chins don't get much better to take those kind of punches although the skill is more relied in the welterweight and lightweight divisions it's not as much as the lighter weight classes below because they don't have the finishing qualities that the higher weight classes do so it's a perfect balance it's right in the middle because the average person can fit in these weight classes the balance of skill and attributes also takes place there as well that is a big reason why in theory lightweight and welterweight will forever be probably the best divisions back in the day when light heavyweight was the best division that was like when lightweight wasn't even introduced that was like and very early on in the sport not a lot of people did the sport not a lot of people competed not a lot of people watched it was a different reason why light heavyweight was on top but i think it's going to be very hard for the future of mma That any other division is going to be over the lightweight and welterweight divisions. The only thing that can is featherweight. Because a lot of people also fit into the featherweight limits, right? 145, those guys usually weigh no more than 175. And usually no less than like 155. A lot of people fit in there as well. So... Featherweight is always right there. Wilderweight and Lightweight are always probably going to be the top. Great question, man. And then we go to Sean O'Grady. After Greg Hardy's decision lost against Volkov, do you think it's time yet to start feeding him ranked opponents? Or do you think he should go back to fighting unranked guys to build up his experience? This is exactly what I was saying before. So good question. And this is exactly what I said before on previous podcasts. Greg Hardy should not be fighting ranked opponents for the next like three years. It should be three years of building him up fighting on guys that are on his experience level and see how he does and he's doing pretty well people want to knock him because he's not fighting the best but he is not one of the best he's fighting guys that on paper with their record with their experience should be able to compete with him but because he's beating these guys he's actually pretty good huh and he goes and fights Alexander Volkov now I know a lot of people hate Greg Hardy and to be honest I didn't know much about him um until after his fight some of you guys sent me on twitter of what Greg Hardy's done in the past and yes, they look pretty egregious, but whether you hate them or not, you do have to respect them as a fighter. Not as a person. When I talk about these guys, whenever I talk about the fighters, I never try to look at their personal stuff. And show respect or something like that because I'm pretty sure there's a lot of fighters who have done crazy things in the past But we don't know about I mean there's fighters that have been in prison There's fighters who have done this and that but we still like always want to watch them fight always respect them all that stuff Greg Hardy's done bad things in the past as well There's been some fighters with a worse history than him There have been a lot of fighters with a better history than him But can't look at that when you're looking at the athlete unless you actually want to look at the person Which is something I don't do whenever I say I respect someone if I don't underline the person It's always going to be the fighter. As a fighter, you have to respect Greg Hardy, man. It's going to be very hard not to. Off of his fight with Ben Sassoli, three weeks later, he gets a fight with Alexander Volkov in Russia, and not only that, breaks his hand or his wrist or whatever it was. He's going to be out for six months now because of that and goes to a decision with the guy and actually goes out there and tries and he didn't really gas out that much although it looked like Volkov was not going past first gear because why should he? Why should he put himself in that kind of risk? Look at what we talked about before. Heavyweights can knock you out with any given blow because they have that kind of power. So in heavyweight it's better to be safer than sorry, especially when you're Volkov where you could beat this guy by just sticking to first gear and you'll never be caught. But Greg Hardy still was trying to find angles he still caught Volkov here and there glancing blows all that stuff with the experience that he has and he fought Volkov in Volkov's main area Volkov has been striking his entire life if you're sticking on the feet with Volkov it's very hard to beat him for anybody for anybody who's ever going to be fighting it could be Stephen Miocic, it could be fader in his prime, it could be even Francis Ngannou, right? It's very hard to beat Volkov on the feet. His biggest weakness is his takedown defense. And Greg Hardy went after Volkov on the feet. Went three rounds to a decision, none 10-8 against him. Fought with a broken hand, his right hand, which is his main punch to knock people out with. Still throwing it in the fight. And looked at the fight afterward as a loss, as something he never wants to happen again. Because of the competitive nature in himself. You have to give Greg Hardy credit. Many people would not have taken this fight. Many professional elite veterans would never take this fight against Volkov on three weeks notice in Russia. How many fighters have turned down fights because they don't even want to fight the other guy in their hometown. Let alone on three weeks notice. And I know a lot of people are going to say but you know he's young. He's going to need the money and all this stuff. Greg Hardy's already rich right. He doesn't need the money. He even said he's not coming to the sport for the money because he's already rich. He's richer than most of these fighters. He's doing it to challenge himself right. I mean you can look in boxing. With Andy Ruiz and Anthony Joshua. They had this whole thing about I don't want to fight you in your hometown. I don't want to fight you in your hometown. While Greg Hardy on three weeks notice fighting Alexander Volkov in Russia. With a broken hand. That deserves respect man. As a person in his past you can't respect that. Although for myself I am a person who gives second chances. And even third if they deserve it. But as for the things he's done in the past in his personal life. That is stuff you cannot respect at all. But as a fighter what he's done in there. And how he's going about himself with this whole MMA career. You have to give that respect. And then we go to I have no idea how to pronounce that. If Duranemi, Covington, and Volkanovski are crowned as new champions, who do you see as the respective nightmare matchups? Interesting, huh? So we'll start with Duranemi. I think it might be Caitlin Vieira, or it might just still be Amanda Nunes. For Duranemi, you need someone who can mix up striking with takedowns and have strong takedowns. More importantly, takedowns from a distance, and I think Vieira is better than Nunes at that. So I might say Vieira, but there's nobody that really creates a nightmare for GDR, to be honest. As for Covington, to be honest, man, Covington could be a lot of these guys. He could be Masvidal, he could be Woodley, he could be Edwards. Edwards doesn't have a strong wrestling game. He already destroyed RDA, beat Demi Maya. Ponzinibbio will be a hard fight, I think, but is he a nightmare matchup? I don't know. He would beat Stephen Thompson, destroy Nate Diaz, destroy Anthony Pettis, already beat Robbie Lawler, destroys Ben Askren. Vicente Luque will be interesting but I think Luki doesn't bring the wrestling defense to hold off Covington Gilbert Burns will be interesting because of his Brazilian Jiu Jitsu So that's an interesting one Jeff Neal, no Jeff Neal will get dominated I would say either Ponzinibbio or Burns But I don't think either are like a nightmare for him. I would say Ponzinibbio is a tough fight because of his takedown defense. And Covington does not want to strike with him at all. Like at all. He doesn't want to stay in the feet for a second with Ponzinibbio. And Gilbert Burns. Yes he will probably get taken down. But he would be gladly to go to the ground because of his submission threat. And he has knockout power. But he wings punches and that's a bad thing. So probably Ponzinibbio. But no one's really a crazy nightmare matchup for him. For Volkanovski I think it might be Korean Zombie. Ortega would be a very hard fight for him. Zabit would be a tough fight for him but I don't think he's a nightmare matchup Rodriguez would be very interesting And if he's squirmy enough, fast enough He can get away from anything Volkanovski throws at him Korean Zombie, he has many ways to go about beating Volkanovski in every exchange I think he's a better boxer He has knockout power He's very fast, he has great grappling, not strong takedown defense but his ground game is very dangerous I don't know if Volkanovski wants to stay on the ground with him But we have seen Chansong John get knocked out before, we have seen him get caught before He's better these days, he's more slick It's either him or Rodriguez I think Rodriguez can be like a mouse where Volkanovski can never catch him And if Volkanovski ever exposes himself a little bit too much he can get head kicked at any moment And then we go to Ned's MMA podcast How do you think an average fighter from today's generation would do in the Matt Hughes-Rich Franklin era? For examples like James Krause, Andrew Sanchez, guys who never reached the top 10 but are part of the newer era of today so we'll take James Krause because he just fought right he's in our fresh memory if James Krause went in the welterweight division back then against Matt Hughes' era I think James Krause will be a top five fighter easily without a doubt will he beat Matt Hughes that's a tough fight because Matt Hughes has superior grappling but his striking is nowhere near where it should be at and he didn't really have much of a chin um I would say James Krause will give Matt Hughes all that he can handle but Krause can also get controlled and beaten on the ground from Matt Hughes Matt Hughes is a very strong wrestler great grappler good submissions scrambles very well the the only thing is he gets tagged, he gets hurt every time. And Cross is longer, taller than him, might even be like the same size when it comes to weight. So these newer guys, if they go into the older era, they would all be like top five fighters, easily. The game has evolved so much from back then. Like in the middleweight division, if you bring in Caesar Ferreira, for an example, into the older era, he would look like a monster. He would be knocking people out left and right. People would think he's like the next all-time great fighter. Way more multidimensional than anybody else of that era. Like Hector Lombard, right? Hector Lombard would go out there and just start putting out fools, left and right. Might become champion, you know. So it's not great to compare the older era to the new era. Whenever people want to say who's better if they fought each other. You know, Chuck Liddell or John Jones, right? Rich Franklin or Calvin Gaslam. There's some that you can when it comes to heavyweights. Such as Fedor, right? Fedor can come out there and beat many heavyweights. Because again, the skill isn't as reliant. And he's way more skilled than a lot of heavyweights today. Because he relied on those skills whereas a lot don't today. So it's a little bit different but when you go to the lower weight classes; it changes the dynamic of it. And then we we'll go to Connor Max Holloway with one punch knockout power versus Zabit with elite cardio. Zabit beats him. Zabit's only, only weakness, only vulnerability is his cardio. That's it. Like everywhere else, you see him. He could wrestle from far. He could wrestle up close. He could chain wrestle. He can shoot blast doubles. Great Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Great judo skills. Amazing boxing. Great kicks all over the place long and tall doesn't have power but he has speed to get in and out very safely great defense and great offense across the board I would say the other thing is uh like kicking defense I guess that's another hole in his game but Holloway doesn't go that way Holloway's shorter he punches very short he has good combination punching but he's not gonna be able to get to Zabit that easily without getting countered he doesn't have the wrestling he doesn't have the takedowns to get after Zabit and Zabit can go for a different style that Sambal style against Max Holloway that Holloway's never fought up against before chain wrestling of course Many things that Zabit can go after Holloway that Holloway's never fought up against before And on the ground, it's gonna be interesting because how long Zabit is He can keep people down a lot easier than shorter fighters can Because he gets the back so quickly That's a huge thing, we've seen that against Shaman Rice When Shaman Rice stood up immediately Zabit instantly squeezed in those hooks and got his back so I think uh, elite cardio's beat does beat a one punch knockout Max Holloway because a beat really won't give that kind of opening on Max Holloway to land that one punch knockout. And Holloway, even though he has one punch knockout in this scenario, he still fights like a combination puncher so when you're throwing combinations the way Holloway throws them he's not committing 100% on every punch will he change up his game is he gonna change his style to land that one punch it would be something that's more uncharacteristic for Max Holloway to do so I think Zabit would beat him in this situation because Zabit also has a granite chin he took shots from Kelvin Cater and Jeremy Stevens who both have one punch knockout power so yeah I think Zabee would win that Then we go to Sammy J Fantasy matchups Okay, C-level Kane versus Prime Fedor I think Fedor wins If it goes to the ground, Fedor can submit him Fedor can also throw Kane down Fedor has more power Better chin He's faster He's more relentless with his power So I think wherever Kane goes If he tries to strike with Fedor, he might get knocked out He might get caught If he goes to the ground with Fedor, he might get submitted The danger of Fedor is a little bit too high for that C-level Kane versus Stipe This is a good fight I'll actually go with Kane in this one I think he could throw the leg kicks, the body kicks His wrestling is gonna be maybe equal to Stipe somewhere around there But Stipe is slower He's gonna make Stipe work against the cage Kane gets smother Stipe with his boxing and then clinching up against the cage all that sort of stuff I think he wins by a decision probably and it's a tough fight it can go either way but I think Kane might edge that Romero versus Prime Fedor oh man that would be destructive not too different in size either I'll go with Fedor because I think Romero will gas out I think Fedor will get beaten up a little bit in those first two rounds Romero does have better striking though overall but he does gas out tough fight to call I'll stick with Fedor but it's very tough GSP versus Usman or Colby I think GSP beats both of them to be honest I think GSP definitely beats Usman I think he could stop the wrestling or make it as inefficient as possible because of his takedown defense and because of his range and also keeping that jab on Usman the entire fight pick his shots move around make it a point fighting contest on the feet disrupting Usman's setups and as for Colby Covington this will be harder because Colby doesn't allow GSP to rest or even establish a jab so if he could take away GSP's jab it becomes a lot easier for GSP But Colby isn't as strong of a wrestler as Usman is And that's going to be harder to take down GSP But he can work on GSP Um this would be very close This would be very very close stylistically on the scorecards But we have seen Colby get taken down by RDA before Yeah, I gotta go with GSP on that one I think he actually takes down Colby And controls him just a little bit threatens him a little bit and off of the takedowns after they stand up he could potentially establish things and then Colby tries to work his way to pressure GSP again but probably gets taken down again so I think GSP will win that but it'll be very close. Prime Anderson versus Adesanya I've talked about this before that fight even happened I think Adesanya beats any version of Anderson Silva and I think it's gonna be very similar to the way they fought before I think Adesanya can do what Anderson does but at a higher level and he's longer and taller I think he's faster He has the power to knock on Anderson, but I think it would be very similar to their first fight. Prime Anderson versus Whitaker. I think Prime Anderson will win this one. After seeing how Whitaker fought Adesanya, if Whitaker's swinging wildly at Anderson like he did against Adesanya, mainly because Anderson's keeping that range, Anderson will snipe him. Counter him easily and snipe him. Seeing one or two of those, and Whitaker's going to be out. Oh, I missed this question. Okay, I another one of those weird questions, but it has a lot of likes, so. Hi, Weasel, two questions. Number one, you're an up-and-coming porn director, and you get your choice of two MMA fighters to be featured in your first major film. Which two fighters are you picking? What? And Kano and Craig Hardy. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding uh and Ganu pounds Greg Hardy I'm just kidding man Uh number two who are your current fighters that could make great future coaches based on their fight IQ and skills Existing examples Dwayne Ludwig, Mike Brown I have a feeling Demetrius Johnson would be a great coach He seems like he knows everything he's taught and he knows how to apply it to other fighters Because I know he trains fighters as well at his gym or he helps them out And I think Daniel Cormier would be a very good coach I mean he kind of coaches wrestling I think as an MMA coach just in general he could be really good so he has really high fight IQ great skills but as a coach you also have to know how to apply a different style too so I feel like Cormier might just incorporate a very similar style to what he has in other fighters you know um I don't know anybody else to be honest maybe Tony Ferguson (laughs) you know create like a school of ninjas but one thing you do normally notice is the best coaches normally weren't the best fighters so Dwayne Ludwig for an example Mike Brown is probably the best MMA fighter that turned into a head coach right he was a former WEC champion he beat Ryan Faber everybody else you know from Dwayne Ludwig even Matt Hume But he didn't extend his career that far. I know Duke Rufus is the head coach over there. And his brother is usually known to be an amazing kickboxer. But Duke Rufus is the primary head coach out of that family, right? I guess it's true for the most part when they say the people that teach it are usually the people that can't do it. Not necessarily true all the time. Because of course, like we said before, we do have Daniel Cormier. And I know other fighters also coach here and there. But generally, it seems to be true. And then let's go to the Twitter questions. We're going to start with at Redstripe Tima. Should Zabi have one more fight before a title shot? Given his gas tank it seems like he's not ready for a 5 round fight. Yes I do agree. I think he should fight the winner of Ortega versus Korean Zombie. Yair Rodriguez is there as well. I know a lot of people would like to see that one. Either or. Yair is more fun. But Ortega versus Korean Zombie. The winner of that makes more sense. Because the winner of that might even get a title shot. Especially if it's Korean Zombie right. But Rodriguez did beat Korean Zombie. So uh, either fight. Either fight to be honest. I think he needs one more fight. And it needs to be 5 rounds. Then we go to add darwin naledi hey man i was thinking in my opinion if fury wants an mma bout the ufc needs to put him in there with gokan saki they are both new to the game obviously more so fury but it makes sense instead of putting him in there with a seasoned mma fighter yes i agree man i didn't even think about this but i 100 agree saki's small though that's the biggest name saki is even a small light heavyweight Fury's a giant heavyweight it would be interesting still. I think with the skills that Saki brings in a fight, he can beat Tyson Fury, obviously. I mean, the leg kicks, the knees, the everything that comes into it, he has knockout power. I think Fury's going to have knockout power in MMA. That'll be an interesting fight. It makes sense because they're both very much inexperienced, but they are great strikers. I would love to see that one, man. And we have to relax on the Ngannou versus Tyson Fury fight. I do not want to see Tyson Fury get absolute thrashed in his first fight in the UFC or first fight in MMA. Then we go to add every leak. If Engano goes berserk and starts knocking out people in the streets, who would stop him? Robocop. Then we go to add Colorado Eskimo. What percentage do you think likely that Volkanovski beats Holloway? Is a beat ready for the winner? Lastly, if someone taught him grappling BJJ, would Vasila Machenko make a run for the UFC belt? Prayers for your mom. Thank you so much, man. Interesting question. So I would say Volkanovski has like a 40% chance of winning maybe 35-ish. And Zabit I do not think he's ready yet He needs 5 round cardio because he could be as skilled as he wants He could be the best fighter in the world But if you don't have the gas thing for 5 rounds Anybody can beat you And that's not a good thing and Vasila Lomachenko I think knows Sambo or he knows wrestling or something I forgot what he knew and there's footage of him actually competing in some grappling arts. If they teach him grappling and BJJ I think he can make a run maybe not for a belt yet but he can make it into MMA and be the most successful boxer to ever go into MMA in theory even. Have you ever seen Vasila Lomachenko kick too? There's a video of him, I think in Thailand or something. There's a video of him kicking and he has the explosion. The only thing he doesn't have is the turning of the hips. He doesn't have that rotation yet, that dexterity yet. And that's something he has to build up. But the explosion in his kicks, even stepping with the ball of his foot, very impressive. Then we go to at KChunk29. Who would win in an MMA match between Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and Raymond The Real Deal Daniels? My dream. That's what this is. That's my fighting dream right there. I think Daniels is a better striker, but Thompson's been doing MMA for a long time, and he understands the range better. He understands the gloves better. He understands the cage better. Ah that's so tough to call it. I want to say Raymond Daniels. He can get in there very quickly and Cash Thompson and he's also very good with the lead leg as well. And I think he's faster than Thompson is but he's older. That's the thing. He's a lot older. I'll go with Raymond Daniels. I'll go with Raymond Daniels. I could be wrong but I have a feeling he would win. At man of truth why exclude John Jones from the gold conversations when all the top UFC fighters are on PEDs? Is that true? I only mean, exclude the guys that got caught with PEDs, so I don't really go by speculation I just go by uh what we know. So Jones Silva, they're both off the goat list. I mean Verdum is gone, right? Everybody who has done PEDs, they're off the goat list. DJ Dillashaw off the middleweight goat list. That's why I say GSP is the greatest fighter of all time. Okay, interesting question by at Buttermilk underscore one hundred and one. Why are former middleweight champions like Luke and Weidman struggling to crack the light heavyweight rankings when middleweights who couldn't even crack the top ten in middleweight like Santos and Smith? Have way more success. It might be a mental thing or a focus issue. When Luke and Wyman went to light heavyweight, what were they focused on? Jones making it big big dreams big fight money fight all this different kind of stuff when Santos and Smith went there they took a lot more serious they were focused on the task at hand they focused on John Jones when they were right there for a title shot but they treated the light heavyweight division like the middleweight division I feel like Luke and Wyman saw the light heavyweight division as weak looked at it as not serious oh look what I did at middleweight look what I did with two of these killers I fought Anderson Silva I fought Leona Machida I fought Chris Wyman Luke Rockhold I mean I fought everybody right who are these light heavyweights? Who's Dominic Reyes, right? Who's Jan Blahovich? Who's almost like a gatekeeper? I'm gonna run through these guys. I think that's what they had in their mind before moving up to light heavyweight because they both completely looked over their opponent and looked at John Jones. John Jones was the guy that was always there, so they potentially thought that John Jones is the only good fighter there and underestimating their opponents, and they both get put out viciously. Smith and Santos, I think they took a lot more serious and they had a real outlook. On that division and a real outlook on their career at light heavyweight. They moved up not because I want to fight John Jones. They moved up because one for Smith. Middleweight was killing them to make the cut. So he moved up to a weight class that he belonged to. Santos a very similar thing as well. Santos is a big guy. And we saw that when he moved up to light heavyweight. And again they were very focused on the task at hand. And I think that's the biggest thing. And when you have that focus, you're able to train better, train smarter, know what you have to work on. Know your opponent, their weaknesses, all that stuff. But when you're put up against an opponent and you're thinking about the next guy, even your training can be halted. And another thing is, Luke Rockhold and Chris Wyman have been knocked out plenty of times at middleweight. Or they've been hurt plenty of times at middleweight. Whereas, yes, Smith has as well. Santos has been knocked out before. But I think Luke and Wyman have taken more damage at middleweight. And I realized something about Rockhold and Wyman. And that is... They kind of follow the trend of the sport before the McGregor era, before the entire entertainment era, they were a lot more honorable. They're a lot more humble before a fight. Even Rockhold, as arrogant as he is and was, he always kept it down low and showed respect to his opponent other than Michael Bisping, right? Michael Bisping the only guy that he had some kind of beef with. Everybody else... It was a lot more cordial. And then once the entertainment era came and he became champion, which is around that time, that is when you start to see Rockwell be a lot more brash and arrogant and even Wyman talking trash, which is something he's never done before. Remember that press conference when everybody was acting like Conor McGregor and it was a lot of Wyman and Rockwell talking, which for their first fight, didn't do that much. I think they just follow the trend. They understood that McGregor's making money. He's the big thing so them two kind of followed suit and they both moved up to light heavyweight after like everybody's moving up a weight class to be a double champion and that's what they had in mind they had their sights on John Jones and that belt not on the next contender so I think that also played a little bit in it if you look at the psychology of this they always seem to be following the trend and that is never a good thing just be your own fighter be your own person. Smith and Santos both went up to light heavyweight not looking to be double champions not looking to be the next McGregor not looking to be this trash talking fiend nothing like that they moved up want to challenge themselves at a higher weight class where they're more comfortable in and they felt more confident up there isn't that crazy though like without thinking of the of the explanations without thinking of the reasons why just seeing the names Tiago Santos and Anthony Smith as the top best fighters in light heavyweight division they made it up there they fought for the belt they looked good especially Santos and when you look at former middle champions who were thought to be the greatest middleweights of that era they go up and they get viciously KO'd that is actually pretty wild man pretty weird to see i mean i've been watching santos and smith for a long time i saw santos's first fight in the ufc i saw luke Rockle's first fight in the ufc as well i've seen these four guys progress through the middleweight division since they got into the organization and santos and smith were always looked at as like journeymen santos had one run before he got knocked out by Gagar musasi but other than that nobody really thought much of him you know the knockout loss against david branch was like a nail in the coffin for the fans looking at his career and smith just never had anything great going on and i'm very happy to see them in the light heavyweight division Vision and actually giving jones some fits santos still to this day i believe beat him i still believe tiago santos beat john jones and a lot of people do as well and for some reason everybody is ignoring that everybody just like forgot about that fight and i know it's because john jones could have done more he didn't show everything and i think that's why a lot of people just kind of ignore that fight but with john jones not doing much santos fought with no legs what would you rather be holding back in a fight or fighting with no legs i mean which one will degrade your performance more i'm pretty sure fighting with no legs no knees is pretty hard to do you know so that's the end of the podcast guys i hope you guys enjoyed the episode and if you did make sure to give it a like make sure to subscribe to my youtube channel if you were listening to the audio version of this and again thank you guys so much for watching and i'll see you in the next episode